All right, before we get into the podcast, I just want to let you know, uh, me, Ernie, we put this podcast together for free. It's for you at no charge. We only ask you a couple of things. If you could, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, we need the comments and the stars. It means a lot. It moves us up in the charts. We're getting great momentum, and we appreciate you. That's all we ask. That's all we ask. We do this for free. Please subscribe. Subscribe. Start up and leave a comment. Thanks for listening to The Michael Yo Show. The Michael Yo Show. Celebrities, pop culture, and comedy. I love this girl. I love her. She is amazing. Shan Boudram is here. All right. So let's talk about you got... First of all, I knew you from the insider. Anytime there was a sex question, anytime some celebrity was going through something, you would pop in and give advice. Yes. On that. Do you still do that? Do Rain, Do your friends come up to you when they have problems and go, hey, yo, this problem? I probably have way less friends ask me for advice than random people. So random people will come up to 100%. you. 100%. I think with friends, I actually try not to be that person for them. I think it gets annoying. It's nauseating. Is it you annoying I mean? for you or them? Uh, I think both. I think I like kick myself in the face if I'm like quoting books and giving them like resources and sites. And you just want a friend to be a friend. Yeah. Like if you're homies with a doctor, you don't want them to be like, oh, double butter on that, you know, garlic yeah. bread. You know, you don't, you yeah. don't really want that in a friend. So I think I try to keep it. I mean, my friendships vary unless they're going through crisis mode. But even then, I think that that that's what therapists are. What for. is the strangest thing a person has asked you? Like a stranger since they asked you for advice? Okay, I don't know if I should do that. Yeah, you know what? Because it's I've had very strange things. Okay, yeah, so, do it. And very identifiable. But I feel like that's would be a breach of their privacy. Because they're very strange things to the point that if you heard me say it, you'd be like, oh, she's saying what I told her. So let me just say, um, I went through this program in school called Sexual Attitude Readjustment, in which we had to watch like 40 hours of porn to expose ourselves to all the different fetishes and kinks that people might have. And through that, I have seen a lot. These eyes have seen a lot. Yeah. So so people will come up to you and ask you about so, that? So yeah, I won't say the one that someone said to me because that one was very peculiar, but I think one that I've seen that I watched that at first I thought was very weird, but then I was like, oh, I get it now that I've seen it was cutting where people like to cut each other's genitalia and um, like small nicks. Well, well, how do you get it then? I, like you said, I don't understand, but now I get it. Like, I, I, I would never get somebody cutting my penis. Because I, I the just two wouldn't. of them liked it. I mean, p- pleasure pain is a thing, yeah. right? And so there's like there's some satisfaction, I guess, in the pain of it. And that's the whole BDSM. It's inflicting pain and also receiving pain. And it's that power play that happens. So I get it because it's so fragile. And it's, it's just a very... You know, your, your brain isn't that smart. Your brain can't tell the difference between arousal and fear a lot of the time. So that fear can be very, very sensual. So I understood it. And the two of them, I'm like, wow, imagine finding somebody who's into this too. Yeah. How magical that is. So I felt very happy for them. Now, did watching 40 hours of porn turn you on to it or off? Like, did it change your view of porn after watching it for that long? Yeah, it changed. I, 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 I'm pretty pro-porn. Pro porn. Okay. Yeah. Were you pro porn before? That was a little tongue twister. I'm pretty pro porn. porn. Pretty pro porn. Yeah. <laughs> I sound times. really Asian now. Pretty pro porn. <laughs> I'm so pro porn. <laughs> oh, my Asian side is coming out. Pretty pro porn. All right. But uh, did it change the way you thought about porn before you went through this 40 hour 
I think it gave me an appreciation for porn being a place for somebody who has a very particular sexual interest. Because for most people, if your sexual interest falls on the normalcy scale, then you see yourself represented all the time. But if you have a very specific way that you like to sexualize or a very specific fetish and you never get to see that, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm broken. I'm so weird. I'm sick. Like I have to go back to the factory. And then you watch this porn and you're like, there's others like me. And they also enjoy this. So I think it made me feel happy for those people. I think a porn is neutral, though. I mean, it can be good or bad depending on how you interact with it. I can definitely see how um, it's a very negative tool for a lot of people and a way to affirm some negative behaviors that should be actually fixed, um, not indulged. But so, so do you agree if one person in a relationship is watching porn and the other one has no idea, it's a bad thing? If you have to keep something a secret from your partner, that it's means a bad that thing. you're identifying it as a bad thing. Because you're like, I don't want my partner to know. So you're assigning it a bad meaning. I don't know why you would do that. Uh-huh. Like, or it's a good thing. Like, I don't know. Is, is it a bad porn thing? okay in your marriage? Oh, what? Well, I asked, the, is porn, no, no. No? I mean, Have you don't... guys had that discussion explicitly? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but like, I don't, I, I haven't been to a strip club. I haven't been to, like, I don't, I don't, it's not something that, oh, I'm going to watch porn. You know, it's not in Never, my wife. even when you were single? No, it's weird. It's weird. But, you know, I, I, I do pretty well. Okay. <laughs> You felt need to add that in there. <laughs> I don't watch porn. I didn't say I didn't make one in the past, a long time ago. <laughs> but but you know, I because you know, I talked to a lot of friends. Like, here's what's interesting about your line of work. I know a couple of people that do it as well. Uh, it's interesting that like everybody has different ideas about porn and. Just like everybody had different ideas about weed, now it's legal. Yes. Now everybody's like, oh, okay, weed. I think it will get to that point where 20, 30, 40 years from now, porn is just porn. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't have any stigma. It's just porn. And if you watch it, you watch it. If not, now, now it's still, if you're married, it's like, oh, uh, this is porn. Somebody watches porn. But now couples are coming out. No, they do more than porn. They're in all these little groups and all this stuff. Like, I wish I could, like, I just don't have it in me. Or the energy. Yes. I think it's the energy thing. It's just a, no, it's not my thing. And that's a part of like the joy. I guess I don't like to live in fantasy. What's that's the, my thing. What's the word I'm looking for? It's like compurgent. It's, it's the wrong word for sure. It's like mm-hmm. compurgence. It's the okay. ability to feel joy for somebody else. Somebody correct me in the comment section. You know I'm wrong uh, right and You now. know they will. Yes. You okay. know they will. But I also know it as Mitfreuder. But when you see somebody else in their joy and you feel happy for them. Yes. So when you tell me, you're like, it's not my bag. I just know that I'm happy for you because you found your thing. I'm equally as happy for the person who was like, I love cutting or I love porn that includes a lot of anal play or whatever it is that their extra thing is, or I'm a, I'm a foot aficionado. I'm like equally happy for that person because I'm like, great, you found your sexual expression, a place to be celebrated and you've hopefully found consenting partners. So what is your title? You know, I know we like, so because, you know, there's sex experts, there's this, there's, what do you like call yourself? What do you go by? Yes, I go by certified sexologist. Sexologist. Difference between certified and licensed. Licensed would be somebody who can prescribe and diagnose, somebody who is a doctor or therapist who can work in a clinical setting. I cannot. I have always wanted to do exactly what I'm doing right now. And my entry point, I don't know what yours is. But my entry point into this space was journalism. Yep. Um, and so journalism, they say, write what you know. And this was the topic I wanted to write about. So I came out of journalism school and I wrote a book that was published called Laid, which was a reflection on how the internet has changed sex for the youth. And here I am, you know, 13 years later in the same space. My second book came out literally 10 years after my first book. But I've always known that I didn't want to do the 
one-to-one assessment. I've always wanted to be a public educator. So as a public educator, of course you're educated in the field. Uh, do people question like what you say? Or do- oh, all the time. Okay. Which I don't mind. I don't care if you question what I'm saying. Don't question my right to say something. Don't gotcha. question my soapbox, but I can get in the soapbox and say some doesn't apply to you. I actually affirm that everybody's an expert in this space. I, my like pet peeve is when I tell people what I do, they're like, that's so niche. It's so like, how did you come up with that? <laughs> like, I didn't tell you that I like, oh, I studied the cracks and tables for a living. Like yeah. something that it's so obscure and irrelevant. We all are sexual beings. We all are loving beings. You know, love is a part of our DNA. Connecting is a part of our biological makeup. We should all be experts in this space. And so if someone doesn't agree with what I'm saying, that's because they have a different experience. And that experience is just as valid as whatever I've read. So, you know, people know you know about the sex space. Now, when you're with a partner, do you feel extra pressure? Nah. No? I go in with the white flags waving. (laughs) I go into it being like, I don't know you at all. You know, you are an expert on you and your body. Like, I am a tourist in this space. You are your own tour guide. Let me know. I think so when you go in like that, being very humble of like, I'm here to learn because it's different. I, you know what the coolest thing I did, which I could do this with you. Um, I sat and talked to a lot of men about their sexual needs and desires and their experiences. And it was like a back-to-back experience. I asked one dude about hand jobs, and he was like, I want to do a PSA. Stop giving hand jobs. Like, you're not good at them. We're way better giving them ourselves. We're tired of hand jobs. Women, stop trying to give hand jobs. And the very next dude is like, I only get off from hand jobs that are dry with like no lubrication at all. And so he was like, tell the other dude, give him, give me all the hand jobs. I want them all. And I was like, wow, like there really is so much diversification in how people experience and like pleasure. And so you just can't go into it like I'm an expert at sex with this person I don't know. So you should go in being, what do you like? I'm yeah. here to please you. Are you pro or anti-hand job? Where are you on the scale? I mean, I'm, a, I, I don't know. I, I like them. You like them? No, I mean, <laughs> I mean. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I don't like them. But then a BJ is kind of like a hand job. It's a mix. A combination. It's a mix. I like the okay. I like the combo action. Okay. Okay. Yeah, as a solo act, you're just yeah. <laughs> oh solo act. Yeah. Oh, I'm phenomenal. Oh no, as a solo. No, you. I know I'm you're probably a pro. As a solo <laughs> act. If someone's gonna offer you and be like, hey, no, no, I would say like, no. Like a hand. Like what? No. What else you got? <laughs> yeah, like, is there anything else in the menu I can add <laughs> like, to that? Yeah. Just a hand. No, no, no. Get it out of here. <laughs> I can do that. My anything I can do myself, I don't need it from you. Yes, I think that's the that's the phenomenal part about our bodies that there really yeah. is no one size fits all approach to pleasure. And so I don't. I would be weary of anybody who is like I'm incredible at sex. Uh. And you're like with who? <laughs> that needs you need more to that sentence. Yeah, it's true. Sure. Okay. So I want to talk about this. The game of desire. Yeah. Okay. Now it says five surprising secrets to dating with dominance and getting what you want. Okay. So I know you for your opinions and helping people out. Yes. Now this book, it's not like you're going to read it. It's, it's a story. It's an actual book. Like it's not just here's some facts you need to know. Go ahead. You've actually told a whole story. What made you want to do it like this? Yeah, I think that we are not accustomed to getting education in this space or carving out space for sex and relationship education. This book in general is education on how to be attractive or an attractor. Like this is for women who are struggling in the dating space and they're women are taught to wait, right? Like wait to get asked out, wait to see if they kiss you, wait to get, you know, proposed to. Whereas, and I'm like, this is a really important part of your life. You know, why would you not want to 
take an active approach. And the word dominant is an aggressive word because you don't have to be like, date me to be dominant, (laughs) right? You can just be alluring and you can drop hints and you can go and talk to the person that you find intriguing and feel confident in yourself and feel good about the fact that you are the master of your own domain. You are in the driver's seat of your own love life. That's what the book is about. But people, I couldn't imagine when my book was really written for, I have a cousin who's 30 who owns a house, has a great job as a supervisor at like a public transportation and has never had a relationship in her whole life. Like never, been, never, no, never had like an official relationship. And I could not picture her picking up a book of like, so you're struggling to find a man, you know? Yeah. So this is people's um, medicine and sugar. It's a story of how I worked with six women. If you see yourself in these six women, great. If you vicariously learn through our experiences together, awesome. Um, but if you just want to read an interesting story, that's what it is as well too. What is the biggest mistake? Like, you know, I feel that, and I don't want to sound chauvinistic when I say this, Do but it. I feel, I feel that women in their minds have a clock where men don't have a clock. Mm. You know, like I feel like men, it's like when I get, today men are like, if I get married, I get married. Where women, the women that do want to get married, they're like, oh, I I have to be married by like 25 and then I have to have kids by 30 and then I have to do this. I I feel like men don't hold that, they don't share that same view the same way that women, which puts way more pressure on a woman. Yes, that's the pressure that women put on each other or people put on women in general. Like I say that like, um, I'm married now and I'm like, man, I wish that my partner back then had one of those pressure and ass parents who Mm -hmm. were like, I'm going to die soon. Where are my grandkids? Get married to her, you know? And everybody around him was just like, you're young. You'll figure it out. And everybody around me is like, so you're just dating forever that you're happy with that. And you guys are really happy. And you, so you're getting all this pressure. Whereas on the flip side, uh, the man's getting none at all. So I think it's just a societal thing. How I explained to my partner that I, I wanted to like, move forward and why I was like, imagine you got your dream job. Like you, my, my partner's a musician. So you had a hit record on the radio station and you are killing it. You're living your dream. You love what you do, but you're still driving a Toyota Corolla and you, it doesn't matter. You still like what you have and you love your career, but you can't get that dream car that shows other people like, look, I'm successful. Like, look, when I show up somewhere, I want everyone to know, like I've done this great thing. I'm like, that is for what dating for women feels like sometimes. Where it's like, I have this great relationship, but I'm still driving around in the same Corolla as my homie. So I wanted ah, to be have that Ferrari. And you got the Ferrari. I got the Ferrari, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> That's, you, everybody needs a Ferrari, you know? Not everybody does. You know, I mean, I think for what I do for a living, there's extra pressure on me. And there was. I mean, I'm older, too. I got, yeah. in, I got married at 33. Uh-huh. So I think there was extra pressure on me. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the pressure exists, and you can't deny that. Yeah. So, so now what's this, this book covers six different women, six different stories. Um, what are like for anyone that's older, that's trying to find love. What is the first thing they could correct about themselves? Because then it would be a you problem because that's the thing you got to understand. Cause if you really, and I did this before I met my wife, I had this self-evaluate. Why? Like I was, I was meeting the wrong type of people. Mm. And then I found out it was me that was attracting those type of people. So, and it was a theme. Every girl I, uh, I broke up with would say the same thing. You're selfish. You're going to die alone. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I looked at myself when I got serious, yes. I go, you know, I need to change this selfish. If it's true, mm-hmm. if it's true. And then I started thinking, yeah, they are on my schedule. If they didn't fit my schedule, cause I was super busy. 
then we wouldn't hang out. I would never go if it took me out of the way to do something they wanted to do. So before I met my wife, I made those big changes. Yes. So is that the biggest thing people need to do if they're older, guy or girl, need to kind of look at themselves? At all times. I mean, the five phases that are in the book that I work through these women with is phase one is to know. You got to know yourself inside and out. And like not know in like a, you know, I like to do comedy and I like (laughs) to go on walks. My favorite movie is The Joker. It has to be like... I am avoidantly attached and you know, I, my love languages, my turn on trigger is my big five personality assessment. I tend to be very neurotic or I'm a very open person. These really specific words that describe who we are as intimate individuals. And a part of knowing yourself also means opening yourself up to self-reflection. So the thing in the book that we did, um, which people have either a very positive or negative reaction to is I had them go back and interview an ex almost like an exit strategy to be like, hey, what was it like to be in a relationship with me? Did I talk too much about myself? Did I speak to you for your highest self? Did I actually say sorry when I fucked up? And they had to do that to be like, okay, here's who I truly am in a loving relationship. And then phase two is change. Now that I know and I see myself for who I am, what is and what is not working. Okay. Now, we have, I, have, I have a friend. They love to be in bad relationships. Mm-hmm. Is that a thing? Like they they so. they date people that are confrontational with them even from the start. Like what what is it cuz it's not going to work out. So why do people keep jumping in that pool? I feel like people need a healthy level of stress in their life. And if you have a very boring job and maybe very stable family relationships, I mean, why not spice it up with some, you know, trash relationships? I always say that, you know, our career is an abusive relationship. Oh, 100%. So I don't have space in my romantic <laughs> life. I just can't. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm already going through it over here. So I think that there's some people who do enjoy the element of drama and stress that come with bad relationships. They're addicted to that. I think people often um, misconstrue passion just for turbulence. It's just because you don't get along. And they enjoy, again, kind of with the brain, the brain can't tell the difference sometimes between like arousal and fear and like those heightened emotions, like passion and anger, um, disgust and lust. So I, I just think they get addicted to those like highs. So what made you want to get into this whole industry? Let's go back to you as a kid. What, what, when was that door open where it's like, oh, I want to this is my thing. I feel like it opened at five. Five? Yeah. I feel like at five, I just knew that the human body was awesome and capable of great things. And I knew that love was amazing. I was very affectionate growing up, but I also grew up in a West Indian household that I went to a Catholic school. Like I was called lewd a lot growing up. Mm. Like I would get in trouble for like hugging my sister too much or like just being, you know, my Barbies never had clothes on. I just like loved love. What'd your, how'd your parents address that? Yeah, like uh, I got in trouble, you know, my Barbies were banned from being naked. Um, (laughs) My sister told on me if I was ever being like, I just I remember doing things that are just like, oh, like and I never crossed lines. I just think that I just loved touch and I loved talking about the human body. I love talking about love and passion. But I learned that that was not a way to, you know, make my parents happy. So I stopped. And when I turned 14, all of a sudden now my original interest, coupled with the fact that I knew it was wrong, led to me being like, okay, cool. I know I'm not supposed to feel this way, but I do. And now I have hormones. What can I do about it? And that's when porn became my best friend, you know? Oh, at 14? Yeah, around 14, 15 or so. Like, uh, I'm like an older millennial, so it was like LimeWire porn, but still porn. Um, and I used that as a way to educate myself and didn't work out that great. So when I turned 19, I had a choice to make. I'm like, okay, either I've been looking forward to this my whole life and it's actually a trash, toxic, awful place, like everybody says, and I should suppress it, or I don't have the right information. 
So I dedicated myself to a library in this uh, a summer in the library where I just read every single sex book possible. And then I was like, wow, there's great information here, but it's really, really boring. Yeah. How can I repackage this? And can this be a career for me? So really, that's it took off from 14 to really 19 in your mind. You kind of made the strategy like, this is what I want to do with the rest of my well, life. Well, 14 to 19, I just did shit sex relationships and bad okay. relationships, period. I mean, that was like five years of debauchery and awfulness. At okay. 19, I was like, okay, let's just reconfigure things. Now, what, how were your parents reacting? Did they even know? Yeah, when I started talking about sex. Yeah, like yeah. 14 and 19, yeah? At 19, when I officially started, I they went on vacation I opened up a site that was called SaveYourCherry.com. This was my way of compromising with them. <laughs> In my mind, I'm, yeah. like, I'm going to talk about sex, but from the standpoint of don't do it. So I made this site called SaveYourCherry.com where I detailed my first sexual experience. And I drew from porn. I drew from the books that I have read that were fiction. And what porn does and fiction does very well is they use sex to sell their message. But sex education does not use sex to sell its message. So I'm like, I want it to be as interesting as that story, but actually have some good information in there. So the story was detailed. Um, So I waited for my parents to go on vacation, and then I emailed them the link to the site, hoping that when they came back, they would have cooled down. They did not. They were very, very upset. um, But... I was a, my major character flaw, you know, yours is selfishness that stopped me from getting into healthy relationships. I found out later on was my disagreeableness. I have to always be right. I don't care what other people think. I was an awful student, all of the above. But back then, my disagreeableness is exactly why I am where I am today. Because if it wasn't for me going against everybody else's approval, then I would have quit a long time ago. So when you got in your healthy relationship now, did that go away? Yes. Okay. I did really work on that. Still working on it. Yeah. I call it my shut the fuck up filter. Because <laughs> <laughs> you got to let them know. Yeah. I got to. Sometimes I don't. That's my main thing of being like, you know what? Just just quiet down. You know, I'm just that person who's always going to like disagree or nitpick. You're going to suggest pizza. I'm going to say sushi. And sometimes I got to be like, you know what? It's pizza. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, but that's it's also compromise. Yes. And that's the main thing. Like you talk about relationships. You know, like when I got married, it was, it, I was in the mindset of compromise. Good for Where you. before I wasn't. And you also, what people got to do, and I'm just talking about my marriage, is you got to really understand your partner, how they tick. You can't stay the same. Like, I, I don't like when people say, oh, you know, they, he's this old, they're never going to change. You do change if you love the person. Mm-hmm. Like, I know my wife is sensitive on certain things. So before I say something about a certain thing, it goes through levels of filters before it comes out. Like, it could be like, what? And then, it goes, oh, let's talk about that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, but I learned that. And I knew when I was dating her, I was like, oh, that's how she is. So for this to work, I got to go through those filters. You know? And yes. I think a lot of people just go, I'm be me. Oh, my gosh. My pet peeve. Actually, my friend the other day was trying to, I talk about this in the book, that uh, honesty is a good is to a good life, not what a bat is to baseball. It's what a putter is to golf. Mm-hmm. It's something that you use once in a while and sparingly. It's not your primary tool. You can't go through life because our brains are hardwired to be negative. That's a survival mechanism. 70% of your thoughts all day long will be negative. So we don't need to hear all that. Because, because if you go back to the way past when we all evolved, everything we were on like high alert. Exactly. Animals attacking us, this attacking us. So we're always like, what's going wrong? What's going wrong? Is that the reason why we're always negative? Yeah. And also, 
also it's a, our superpower. The reason why we live in such a highly evolving society is because there's always someone who's like, the iPhone 11 is cool, but this is shit and it could be better. There's, we constantly have that, how can we improve? And that, our critical brain and our innovative brain are the exact same thing. And so you can't love one without loving the other. But that you have to also acknowledge when they're helpful and when they're not. And in relationships, it's really not that helpful to be constantly critical. Um, and a lot of the times, too, you're not always right either. So no. that's why that those filters are are important. But my friend was like, "I'm just an honest person." I'm yeah, like, I you're kind of just you're a an dick. asshole. Yeah, that means you're an asshole. Yeah. I'm so honest. Like, okay, that's why you're so single. <laughs> you are so single with your honest ass. Um, so let's talk about first dates when people go on first dates. Cause I love when people tell me about their first dates for you, an individual, what is the worst place when you were single, a person could take you on a first date or just in the whole evolving of a relationship? Cause the first date you want to get to know them. Yes. But I think people make a lot of mistakes in their first choice where if a guy wanted to take you out or another female, where should they take them out? It depends. So I go by the, I'm a really big quiz whore. It's like, it gets ridiculous because I will you give a person a quiz all the time. Well, no, I don't give a quiz, but oh. I like do a lot of quizzes and I like, okay. I'm a fan of quizzes because I'm a big fan of language when you can okay. find a word to describe you. So I suggest doing the VKA quiz, which VKA. yeah, it's kind of like how your mind works best, like which environments your mind thrives in. So are you visual? Are you kinesthetic? Are you auditory? And so once you know that about yourself, like I'm not a multitasker and I'm definitely somebody who's more auditory. So it's better for me to go somewhere where I can sit and bond with somebody. If we went bowling, for example, I don't have the ability to multitask in that way. And like, it's not my best self. So my best self is this environment. So for me, like a great first date would be like a coffee shop or um, even my place, you know, or, or, or like a rooftop. I did a lot of rooftop dates in L.A. or like I would drive up to a hill and like go just sit and talk with somebody. Would you would you let them know that like they would offer out different and you're like, no, 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 let's just go grab a coffee. Well, like were you yeah. because guys like to make plans. Yeah. And you, and you would be like, nah. I mean, if you said to me on a first date, like, let's, let's go bowling, do, let's go bowling. I probably would be like. Oh, but I have this thing just before. I'm going to be a little tired. Would you mind if we just went Got to you. this you would instead? change it. Yeah. And I, I've learned to like tweak it a bit. Not like, no. Right? <laughs> Shut them down. But, like, that's a great idea. And like, bowling is probably great for like a fourth date with me. I think I made the mistake before of doing that. And then the person never really got to see me or uh-huh. what makes me great. So after a couple of non-callbacks, I'm like, let's no. fix this. <laughs> and how are guys and girls supposed to deal with no callback? The non-callbacks, because that's the worst. You know what? Because you feel horrible about yourself. How do you deal with non-callbacks for your work? Because we, we deal with we these. Get, we get no's all the time. Oh, yeah. forget about them. Right. But but our brain is trained for that. Do okay. you forget about it? You don't go back and say, oh, here's what I kind of noticed in the room that didn't work. Or maybe I'm best when I prepare. Or I didn't I, sleep the night before. Well, I will tell you this. What I hate more than a non-callback is the... He was amazing. He did great. He just didn't get the role. Mm -hmm. Because I get a lot of those too. You know, it's like, oh, everything. And then I go, well, no, no, no. Find out why they didn't book me for the role. And they go, well, they they can't give me an answer. They were like, you were awesome. You know, and that's what tweaks. That's what gets me the worst is when they're like, oh, you're the best. You're great. But then you don't get the role. Right. I'd rather just go, oh, he didn't. He sucked. Right. I would rather that than the he did. But it's not going to be that. You're awesome. You're really good at what you do. 
but it okay. might just be my mom uses this like pair of pants analogy where it's like you're in the store because you're a good pair of pants but you know when you're looking for a pair of pants you're like oh this one's too flared this one got yeah. a dumbass thing on the back and so it's not that you're not a good pair of pants is that what they're looking for is different so i'm not gonna say where we went but we saw each other at a casting yes recently obviously you didn't get it no no, no i'm here and yeah, i, and I, I didn't get busy. it either <laughs> i didn't get it either so i'm here but like what's your mindset going into a casting like that is it kind of just show up i know i know who i am i know what i'm gonna give if they like it they like it if they don't they don't no i always learn like i learned from that one i was like because i the thing what'd you that, learn from that one it was really designed for somebody who was like an entertainment junkie and so i'm going from the slant of like i was an insider i can really talk about the sex and relationship topics and so i leaned on that but i really didn't research the entertainment side of it got you and so i really couldn't i could contribute but then sometimes my contributions were off because i didn't really know the full story so I'm like, but you better commit or don't commit. Yeah. Like, don't you go into this stuff thinking that what you know is enough because they're asking for something different. So that was a lesson for me of if you're going to show up for these things, show up or just don't go. Yeah. So I, I always I, learned a little something. I, I learned something there too. What'd you learn? I learned I can't talk to young people. Oh. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? That's an awful lesson. <laughs> I, I can't. No, no, no. Because, because let me be honest. I did well. Like, they, I did well. But I think what... And it doesn't come out on camera, but in my head, I can't stand the younger. Oh my god! So they were doing this, and I'm like, it just drives me nuts. Yeah. And then when I come in, it's very assertive, and you know, it's like very like I got points. Boom, boom, boom. Chop boom. that table. And they're like, oh well, you know, like God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just. But but I'm and also no, I'm aging out of that. Oh my god. I, Britney, I mean, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. Like, I don't care about that. And I can't even act like I care about it anymore. You yes. know what I mean? And that, so when I was in there, it, it was a realization of like, yo, this, like the people there are half my age. Mm. Well, not half. Probably not half. Yeah. Not, not definitely not half. Maybe but, half your bank account. Yeah, what? <laughs> but is the, the level of just making points and just the conversation is very like, just surface. And I'm not in the surface anymore. You used to, I used to be. I could surface talk all day. Like, all day long. All day long. on that bitch. Yeah. <laughs> hey, <woo! laughs> Triple Lexus. That's right. Now it needs to be deeper. Like, mm-hmm. I want to I wanna, I wanna make a difference. I wanna, When I say something, I want people to go, oh, sh-. I was thinking that same thing. Mm-hmm. Not like, did you see Kim Kardashian because on the red could, carpet today? You could use that as a vehicle for something deeper. And that's, yeah. I think that, but, but you then, still but, have but, but to that, love both. But that outlet we were on, there, there is no way you can get deeper than just saying a couple lines and then moving on. Mm. At least for that, that casting. Hopefully they'll never listen to this show. I mean, if they do, then let us know. We learned. We learned something. We We learned something. All right. So you got this book, The Game of Desire. What else are you doing right now? Anything else? Yeah. I'm, we're talking about this, how, uh, I think a big part of my business model last year was a lot of selling my expertise to other people, be that pharmaceutical companies or different TV shows and very rarely actually selling myself. And so the book was really my first thing that I did that was like, this is me. This is I mean, it was with HarperCollins, but it's my intellectual property. And like when I open my mouth to promote it, there's no promo code. This is the book, right? (laughs) 15% off when you go to. So I'm actually doing courses that go along with this. I think there's a very big difference between reading 300 pages of information you could do and being in a group where you're held accountable to actually do them. And you're getting feedback from somebody. The reason why the women in the book who I worked with had such great feedback, I mean, great, um, 
What's one go for? Results. What? Results. Is half because the information is good and half because the system that they were in was a chamber for change. And so I wanted to duplicate that for some of the readers. What do you think about dating apps? I love them. Neutral. Neutral. Another, here's my thoughts. I think that what we have done is we have improved the vehicle in which people make connections. The yes. vehicle now is incredible and has billions of buttons and goes light years fast, but the driving education has not improved at all mm. since the 40s. And so you've got people who get into these vehicles and crash and burn because they just simply don't even know the basics. So I look at online dating as a pro tool versus an entry-level tool. I think it's marketed as an entry-level tool. Ah, see, because to me, it's interesting, and I've said this before on the podcast when I was growing up, you wouldn't know a girl or a guy that lived two miles away from you. Yes. Now the world is yours. And I just feel like I, I was talking to, uh, I do this Hinge podcast uh, and it pairs up two people that ghosted each other and then they got to confront each other. And I was talking to one girl. She was about 21 years old. I go, does a guy ever call you like for a first date? She goes, Ooh, that's weird. Like literally a phone call. Yeah. Talking mm. is weird to somebody that's 21 years old or under for the first for the first conversation, yes. not a text. Text is fine, like, but talking to a person is weird. Mm. That's where we are. Yeah, well, I mean, that that's a weird person, though. Is a it? Weird, I think there's. I people- don't know. I, I I believe it's a young thing. They would rather text a person than be put on the spot. Like I had to grow up where I had to call girls' houses and their dads would pick up the phone. Oh yes, like no kid today will ever feel that. Fear that fear. Or back in the day when your parents had to go knock on the front door and wait outside and have flowers because the dad would answer the door. So there's levels of this that make it more difficult. But I think the difficulty now was the choice paralysis where there's so many options. And I think that gives a lot of people who don't know what they're looking for uh, an opportunity to again crash and burn a lot. But yeah, I think you could. So you're fine with the dating app. I'm fine with it, but you got to know it's like looking for a job online, having never gone to school. And yeah. now you're confronted with like, do you want to be a rocket scientist or do you want to be a butcher or do you want to be a podcast host? And you have zero formal training and you have no way of knowing what's the right choice for you. Why would you pick the best thing? And most people are just choosing by the surface look right. of yeah. the person, not not anything else. Not oh, based hot. on what they're capable of yeah. or like what's going to work out best for them or proximity or shared interests, shared values. Like they're just... Because they don't know anybody. It's not their fault. Yeah. Like if you don't know, you've never actually been encouraged to be like... Yeah, who are you and who works best with you based on your personality, flaws, and strengths? You've never had that conversation before. Why would we be able to pick the right thing? So true. So true. Okay, the book, The Game of Desire, is out now. It's out now. Where people can get it at. All places books are sold. If you go to thegameofdesire.com slash buy, there's also an opportunity to get the audio book absolutely free. Um, you can click on the button for that. And if you listen to this podcast, that yeah. means you're already an and audio we'll aficionado. And we'll put all the links and everything like that. Well, hey, well, thank you for stopping by. Selling sex right now. Selling, is that how you sell the sex? Selling the sex. We're selling sex, people. Hey. Hey. (laughs) All right, thank you for stopping by. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.